You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. ESPN's Paul Feinbaum joining us, the voice of the SEC. And uh, SEC Network, uh, beginning at 3 Eastern, uh, Paul will be on the uh, SEC Nation live Saturday at 2 Eastern on SEC Network ahead of the SEC title game. Paul joins us now. Can you remember a week of coaching changes that rival this in recent memory? No, uh, because there, there's never been one like this, Dan. And, and I was thinking to myself, it, it's Thursday in the craziest week we've ever covered in college football. What if after the game Saturday night, Nick Saban announces he's retiring and Lane Kiffin takes his place? Would that top everything else? <laughs> <laughs> now, you're not reporting that. <laughs> no, 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 please. Okay. That's just me. I was just, I was just free associating. Is there any, is there any chess move left? Uh, that could obliterate a, a you know a 35 year old taking over at Notre Dame. The two moves that we've obsessed over since uh, Monday and uh, Sunday and Monday, and and that's really about it. Uh, beyond that, uh, it's it's the craziest week ever. Who had the best week? Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman, others. I, I think in some ways Southern Cal did with Lincoln Riley because you know they have this gold plated program that has been dormant since Pete. Carroll and they have infused energy in a town that, as you know, needs needs buzz, needs sizzle, and he's done it. I, I think he will recruit fabulously well out there. There's so many great players that are everywhere, uh, from Alabama to Ole Miss to, to Oregon, and, and you can you can find a million other ones uh, in between. Uh, I, I think you know Notre Dame is 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 a puzzle because so little is known about Marcus Freeman, and he hasn't been announced yet, but he likely will. Uh, they're just making sure that he hasn't done anything on his resume like George O'Leary 20 years ago. That's Ooh. the only reason I think they're still waiting up there. And I don't, I don't blame anyone for taking your time. Uh, I think LSU did well. I mean, Brian, I talked to Brian Kelly yesterday, as I know you did. And, and I, he, he's the most relaxed 60 year old in America. He just, he just, uh, he just cashed in his 401k uh, for a hundred million dollars and, uh, and, and gets introduced to uh, Cajun food. Does he know what he's getting himself into? I think on one level he does. I, I don't think he understands the, the lingo. And, and frankly, there's no way you can. I, I, I've lived in Louisiana, and it's, it's an incredible place. But the only guy who I think ever really understood it, uh, it is Ed Ogeron. And he just got fired. So I, I think you almost have to throw that out. Uh, Nick, Nick Saban looked lost uh, 18 years ago when he parachuted in there uh, from East Lansing. Remember the, the famous story, Dan, they sent the plane for his staff. <laughs> Saban's the only guy that got off. Uh, nobody else was leaving with him. Uh, uh, eventually a few more joined him, but uh, it's just, that's just the way it is. And and I, I think fit is, is overrated uh, a little bit. As soon as you can start winning, fans will love you. They don't care who you are and where you're from. Yeah, you start to figure this out and you look at it and like the immediate success. I, I like what Notre Dame did if it meant you kept your offensive coordinator and basically your defensive coordinator. And they're young, 35 and 29. Um, it can be dangerous because now if Marcus Freeman becomes a head coach, everything that that entails. And I always go back to Bill Belichick's coaching tree. You know, Charlie Weiss, he's not a head coach. Assistant coach, yeah. Romeo Cornell, assistant coach. When you take over the head coaching job and you're at a franchise, I mean, this is a Notre Dame's a franchise. It's like Duke, the Yankees, the Cowboys, 
you're taking over something really enormous and really, really polarizing. Is there any other place in college football that comes close to what the responsibilities will be at Notre Dame? Well, probably Alabama, um, but but I think that's a given. Yeah, and, and, and again, I know a lot of young people are listening and they're going, yeah, Notre Dame, uh, what's the deal? But 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 Dan, when, when we grew up, uh, Notre Dame was the biggest name in college football, and it still is on one level. Now, I, I think it's changed a little bit because the, the sport has mostly moved south in terms of a recru- where, where, where recruits want to go, but it's, it's, you'll, you'll never go wrong saying, I just committed to Notre Dame. We're talking to Paul Feinbaum, host of the Paul Feinbaum Show on ESPN Radio. Uh, let's look at the what-if scenarios here. If <laughs> You want to start with Alabama and Georgia? Can Alabama – I know they can beat Georgia. Of course, they have a chance. But the likelihood that we could see Alabama upsetting Georgia is what? I, I think it's pretty low, Dan. And uh, I, you're talking to somebody who's spent most of his life in Alabama and – not, not that our predictions matter, but I will give you a stat. I have not picked against Alabama since the Iron Bowl in 2010 when Cam Newton was the Auburn quarterback. Uh, and by the way, uh, they've only been an underdog one time since then, so it's not like I'm, I'm really doing anything or, or, or going against Vegas. You, you, would, you would be very wealthy if you had bet on Alabama every game uh, over the last 11 years. But it's hard for me to buy into – well, Nick Saban's on the sidelines. Okay, well, he was on the sidelines at College Station. He was also there last week at Auburn when, when Alabama should have lost. So I just don't think the matchup goes very well. Uh, and yeah, I know Kirby Smart's team with Georgia is in the playoffs, but they don't care about that. I mean, they want to beat Alabama. Kirby Smart can't walk down the street without somebody saying, how did you blow the last three Alabama games? <laughs> uh, two, of the, two of them uh, in, in the national championship game, he had a he had, a, I think, a 13-point lead. The next year in the SEC game, I believe he had a 17-point lead. And he, he led in, in the most recent game a year ago. So he, he's had enough of that. Uh, and he's ready to, to plant his flag, I think, in Nick Saban's throat. Where do you think we get the potential for biggest surprise this weekend? Well, I do think Cincinnati is vulnerable uh, against Houston. That's a team that we just, uh, you know, we, we've, we haven't talked much about, but they're on quite a hot streak. Uh, I, I'd rather not say this out loud that, that what if Michigan lost? Because, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't even – I'm not getting out of bed Sunday morning if Michigan loses because I, I don't even want to think about that possibility because I, I'm, now, I'm now the biggest Jim Harbaugh fan in America. I hope he wins everything, never loses another game. Wait, wait, what, uh, but, what happened? <laughs> that sounds like that's tongue-in-cheek, Paul. Well, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I, I've, I've heard from so many good-natured Michigan fans this week that, that are so well-meaning that I, I just don't – I'd rather not deal with them again. I say, I, listen, uh, yeah, Harbaugh is a, is, a, is a chapter in many, many books, but uh, Oklahoma State could lose. I mean, all these are possibilities. They're, they're not that far-fetched. Oh, man. If Michigan loses to Iowa, <laughs> it does, it, does it undo everything? No, because I, I think he was hired to beat Ohio State. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, he's got an unusual fan base, uh, Dan. I don't need to uh, enlighten you on that. Um, and and they, they wanted that game so badly. Uh, I think that was – I know they'll argue, but I think in some ways that's what he had to overcome. I think he'll win. Uh, I think this is a, a non-issue, but 
Um, please don't. I mean, I, I love being on your show, but I don't want to see your name on my phone uh, Monday morning <laughs> if, if Michigan loses because I'm going into a cave. What if Notre Dame somehow gets into the Final Four? Well, then, then Marcus Freeman uh, gets to become a hero. What was the guy's name at uh, Larry at, Coker? At University? Yeah, but but what about remember the remember the uh, NCAA basketball tournament with Michigan? Steve uh, and, Fisher. And the, Right. The guy, the guy nearly won the national championship. Now, it would be one of those type stories. And, you know, everyone who says that the committee will go against Notre Dame, I think they're wrong. I, I think they, they would like to embrace this story uh, with, with a brand new coach. Uh, I, I, think that the, I think the narrative is completely wrong on Notre Dame. What about Oklahoma State? Could Oklahoma State get boxed out here? It's possible, yes. I, I, I think Cincinnati is in. I, I think all these uh, doomsdayers who think the committee will go against Cincinnati don't don't understand the politics of this. And I, now I, I sound like one of those critics who who claim the mothership uh, makes every decision. They don't. Uh, but but I, I think Cincinnati is 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 the favorite son here. They if they win, they're in. Oh, you think that they? Because I thought they if they keep them at four, then it's easier to drop them out if you know style a point. You know, style points here. I, I'm overthinking this, uh, as I always do, Dan. But I, I just think that uh, it would send such a bad message. And I, I, I don't, you know, when these committee guys uh, say, oh, well, we just we, we hit the re- reset button every week. I, I don't really believe that. I think if they want if they didn't want Cincinnati, they would have kept them below that line uh, because there, there would be quite a reaction. Uh, and that's not really, well, right now college football doesn't care. All they care about is is a hundred million dollars, uh, a coach. So, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty firm on Cincinnati getting in. Does Nick Saban get a raise? He should. Uh, and I, I wonder if, you know, Saban is calling his agent, Jimmy Sexton going, does somebody want me? I'm, I'm available for 150 million. And, and by the way, uh, Dan, Nick Saban is worth a hundred million dollars a year. Forget for 10 years, what he's done for college football, for his, his school, his league. Uh, you know, you put Nick Saban, uh, as a CEO on, on Wall Street or, uh, or, a, or a California tech company. He's making uh, with with stock options. He's making a hundred million dollars a year, easy. Yeah, I just wonder how long he wants to coach. He did lash out at the fan base. <laughs> he flirted with Texas, but I don't know if that was just to say to Alabama, "Hey, understand what you have because there are other people who want me." Or do you think he got close to taking that Texas job? I think he he was close. They offered him based on what the people with whom I've spoken uh, about a hundred million dollars back then. That was in 20, uh, 2012, 2013. He, he told me once that he did not want to deal with the Texas boosters, meaning that there's too many people. Uh, when he went to Alabama, he, he laid the law down. I'm running this program. Don't bother me. And that was always the problem at Alabama. It's been the problem at a lot of schools. So he has total control. And, but I, but, you know, he, he just turned 70. I, I don't think he's ready to walk away, but uh, he does seem a little restless this year, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he's kind of like irascible sometimes. He gets cranky, <laughs> and, and he just doesn't want to deal with, you know, us minions there. I asked Brian Kelly yesterday, <laughs> if Notre Dame was ranked third, would he have left for the job at LSU? And he said, I can't answer that. What do you think yeah, he would have done? Uh, uh, I think he would have had a difficult time doing that um, because, you know, it would have it would it would have been perceived as unconscionable. It's much easier leaving when you're fifth or sixth. And but, but it's no longer your responsibility. Do you think that he's basically said to the university and to his players yesterday, 
or Monday. I can't win a national championship. That's why. That's I, exactly right. That's exactly what he's saying, and and he's right. Yeah. Uh, and for, and for all the criticism he has gotten, you know, losing to Alabama by twenty eight in twenty twelve, and and the two playoff losses. The, the, the roster, I'll never forget on the field in Miami, and you were down there. I remember seeing you at a restaurant the night before. I was walking around with uh, uh, somebody from the NFL, an NFL uh, executive, and he said, these two teams don't even look the same. Uh, Alabama looked like an NFL team, and, and Notre Dame looked like a, a good college team. They, they were, they're not comparable. And I think that's why he's, he doesn't get the credit that he really is deserving. And there was no way he's ever going to get the five-star defensive players up there and the elite athletes at wide receiver and, and, and running back and quarterback that, that Alabama, Georgia, and, and a lot of the schools in the South, including LSU, get. And that's why Marcus Freeman, if he takes over the job, it's still the same requirements, restrictions, hurdles at Notre Dame. Nothing, nothing really changes. I mean, you change no. coaches, but you still have your same offensive, offensive and defensive philosophies with those two coaches. You still have to get you have to work really hard to get those recruits in. And Brian Kelly's probably saying, wait a minute, I can triple my salary. Yeah, it's the SEC. They won a national title a couple of years ago. And I don't have to worry about anything academically. Where do I sign up? And at age 60. Yeah, I, I think it's trite to say this because we know Saban won a championship at LSU. But, but I have to think Brian Kelly's saying to his wife, Les Miles and Ed Ogeron won titles down there. I mean, those guys, <laughs> I mean, I can do that. I'm better than those guys. And, and you're now defined by a title. And, and I think that's where he is. Oh, my God. Yeah, I haven't thought of it that way. But uh, you know, <laughs> no offense, you were supposed to say. No offense to oh, Ed O or Les with, Miles. <laughs> with all due respect yes, to Les of Miles, course. of course. Of course, of course. Uh, great to talk to you, Paul, as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. A pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. He works for CBS and Westwood One. You can uh, check out his Ross Tucker Football Podcast. How are you, Ross? Dan, awesome, always. I was just on Chat Row with a bunch of your listeners. Love Chat Row. Love being on your show. Let's do it. All right. How was Thanksgiving, by the way? You are Mr. Food. Uh, Honestly, Dan, well, first of all, you will appreciate this. I was in Dallas. I did the Raiders Cowboys for Westwood one. They had a side carving station of honey glazed ham and smoked ribeye. Unbelievable. But here's what's funny about it. When I go up to get my ham and ribeye, the chef, like the guy with the big hat, the irrationally big hat. I don't know why his hat needs to be so big, but he looked at me and said, Whoa. I said, what? He's like, I thought you were James Vanderbeek for a second. <laughs> and I said, no. I said, no, actually, I am meathead James Vanderbeek, according to the Dan Patrick show. That's, a, that's one of the only times that's ever happened. I don't look that much like the guy. I mean, I'm way bigger and stronger. I have a beard. But anyway, he said that. So the Cowboys probably had, Dan, the best press box food spread I've ever been a part of. I love my mother-in-law. She's a good cook, but the Cowboys kind of, kind of, kind of put her away. 
All right, that loss by the Cowboys. Like, what has happened to the Cowboys recently that you can put your finger on? Well, I think at a minimum, not having Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb really, really hurts them. You know, one of the reasons why they were so dynamic and Dak's an MVP candidate is they've got an unbelievable receiving trio. You know, Gallup is a really good number three, but he's not a great number one. And I think that was very limiting for them offensively against the Chiefs when he got hurt and Cooper didn't play and against the Raiders. That's the big reason why they didn't score enough points in those games, I think. Defensively, they were good against the Chiefs. The problem defensively against the Raiders, nobody wants to throw the ball near Trayvon Diggs for the interception. They attacked Anthony Brown. He got four pass interference penalties in one game. I have no idea, Dan, why the NFL decided it would be a good idea to have 30 penalties on Thanksgiving, which is one of like the three games a year some people watch, Thanksgiving and the Super Bowl. They had a, It was a four-plus-hour game. But at any rate, that's why the Cowboys lost is all the pass interference penalties on Anthony Brown. And they didn't score enough because they didn't have CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper. Are they a contender for the Super Bowl, like a legitimate contender for the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, I still think it's going to be the Packers or the Bucks, But yes, I think the Cowboys will be in the mix. I think the Arizona Cardinals will be in the mix. I think when the Cowboys have all of their guys firing on all cylinders, both sides of the ball, I still think they are as good as anyone. I mean, Micah Parsons, I can't remember the last time we saw a rookie defensive player like this. I've had multiple people tell me they think he's the best edge rusher in the NFL already, wow. which is bananas. He didn't. He opted out last year. He played linebacker the two years before that at Penn State. He's a part-time edge rusher this year, and they think he's the best in the whole league. It's it's great. Greg Cosell said that. Daniel Jeremiah said that. It's really unbelievable. I was wondering about the MVP, and and I try not to go week to week and go, "Hey, who's the MVP this week?" And I. I, I'm really kind of struggling to figure out who is the most valuable player. And I, I kind of fall back to Tom Brady. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers, it would be held against him that he wasn't vaccinated and missed a really important game against Kansas City. Sort of the way I looked at James Harden when people tried to make him an MVP candidate and he forced his way out of Houston, came in out of shape. And I said, he can't be the most valuable player. Look at what he did do his former team to get out of there. Do you think it would be held against Rodgers that he missed a really important game and lied about being vaccinated? Yes, honestly, Dan, knowing the writers and the people that vote for that award, even if he hadn't missed a game, the fact that he's not vaccinated, some of them will hold that against him. Yeah. And the fact that he lied about it, some of them will hold it against him. Then you add the fact that he missed a game and they lost because of it. I don't think Aaron Rodgers has a prayer. I think Aaron Rodgers knows he doesn't have a prayer. I think Brady, if you look at his numbers, I mean, I haven't looked at it this week, but he was leading the NFL in touchdown passes, leading the NFL in passing yards. It's almost like we've gotten bored of Brady and we want to try to give the award 
to somebody new. Like, who's the next big thing? Let's give it to Dak. Let's give it to Kyler Murray. Somebody else, please step up and take this. It feels like Brady's the default option, and people are hoping anyone else steps up. It's like people don't want to see Alabama win the national championship. People don't want to see Tom Brady win the MVP. Well, it's also that they they kind of anointed Josh Allen, and and, and it was going to be his year, almost like he's Luka Doncic. Like, hey – you're special. It's your year. And I said, well, Dallas isn't going to be competing for a title. Luke is not going to win the MVP, which, of course, he didn't. Josh Allen, I thought there was way too much pressure on him because I don't think it's a great offense. I think when he does special things, then it is a great offense. But I don't – like, he's had some bad runs here the last couple of weeks with uh, what's happened with Buffalo. You know what's weird, Dan? I can't remember a year – where there was sort of this much uncertainty regarding the Heisman Trophy, and nobody really seemed to take it and run with it, I feel the same way about the MVP. But I got to vote on the Heisman by next Sunday. I have to – this this weekend, I I have to – I don't know who I'm voting for. Well, and can I just say something – I know the Heisman's supposed to be – I don't really know what most outstanding player is – but if they had the MVP in college football, it's Kenny Pickett. I mean, Pitt, you know, I, people talk about Bryce Young. He's a nice player. C.J. Stroud, nice player. What do you think Pitt's record would be if those kids played for Pitt? What do you think Alabama and Ohio State's record would be if Kenny Pickett played for that? I mean, Kenny Pickett, to have Pitt you where gotta, they are. You got to play in big games. You got to be you got to be in the, you know, top 10. You got to be relevant and as and as fun as he is to watch and that game against Wake Forest is going to be awesome. He's just not playing in meaningful games. You you know, you have your Heisman moment and you know, he hasn't he hasn't had that opportunity. It's really important to have that moment, that standalone game. All right, then let's go and I'm going to try to change your mind. Then. Let's go with Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan then. All right. Or the nose tackle for Georgia. Well, Jordan Davis. I that's who I would probably vote for today. And I go back to and I love defensive tackles. For some reason I fall in love with him way too much than I should. Like I'll go back and Steve Entman, who played at yes. Washington. <laughs> I uh, you know, Dominican Sue, where I just watch these guys in college and I go, God, that guy's awesome. And I'll come in on Monday and tell these guys, this nose tackle is awesome. I, you know, will I vote for a defensive player? Sure. Absolutely. And he hey, might be this, best Dan. player. Well, why don't we, why doesn't anybody ever mention Stetson Bennett? I mean, if Gino Toretta won it or guys like, uh, I don't know, Ken Dorsey, I'm sure went to New York. He's playing really well on the best team in the country. He's a good player. His numbers aren't huge. We're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to do that. It's not going to happen because people will go, oh, my God, Gino Toretta won a Heisman? Jason White? Like that, as a voter, you know, when people say, how could you vote for? I said, well, I wasn't voting back then. But you had to almost defend why you would vote for the best the quarterback on the best team who right. wasn't the best player, most valuable player on his own team. It defies logic, but those guys won Heisman trophies. 
That's yeah, one. that's the Stetson Bennett argument, I guess. It's like anything else in life. You can always point to one example from like 10 years ago. I'm like, well, he did it, so he should do it. <laughs> Who's the best defensive tackle you ever faced? Richard Seymour. Ooh. Richard Seymour is the best defensive lineman I ever faced. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Dan, he was extremely gifted. He had incredible technique. And he was legitimately mean. Like, he played hard. <laughs> so, in all sincerity, D. Lyman, Wait, but if what's you have it like, one what's of it, those. What's it mean that he plays mean? Well, so I went against a bunch of D tackles that were probably more talented than Richard. But they just didn't play hard all the time. You know, if you're a really gifted guy, you, you don't have to – you can kind of pick your spots. Seymour was trying – to kick your you-know-what. He was a mean, aggressive player. And I know that everybody thinks, well, every football player is like that, right? Not really. There's some 325-pound freak show D tackles that just kind of pick their spots. They're not really trying – you know, they want to make a couple plays, but they're not trying to beat you. Richard Seymour was trying to beat you down. He's an interesting example. I talked to him about this when he played for the Patriots. When he re-signed there – his second contract, he knew that it might hurt him for awards like the Hall of Fame because in New England's defense, you must play the run for the first two seconds along the line of scrimmage. So he knew he would never have the Warren Sapp tackle for loss sack numbers. Mm. But if New England was going to compensate him for that, he was okay with it. But I'm here to tell you right now, if he played in if he and Sap switched, Seymour puts up Sap numbers or better. Sap could not have done what Seymour did in New England as a three-four-two gapping defensive end. Talking to Ross Tucker, uh, are the Rams okay? I'm not so sure. You know, it's like when they played the Titans and the Titans beat them up up front. It doesn't feel like they've really recovered. You know, I mean, even the last game, Andrew Whitworth, who I love, Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark, yeah. all of a sudden the Rams' offensive line went from a strength to a liability. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're getting beat up by some of these D-lines up front. And then on their D-line, Donald Von Miller, not as dominant as they had been. I think Stafford misses Robert Woods. And I'm not sure if you heard this, Dan. Matthew Stafford. This is, this is going to be hard to believe. Breaking news. Play the breaking news. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Matthew Stafford is a professional football player playing through injuries. Oh, <laughs> man. Is, is he the only guy who's playing through an injury, Ross? Every week we hear a new report about a quarterback that's playing – I mean, that is – can you imagine how hard it must be to drop back four yards and throw a football while something on your body hurts? It's a good thing none of the offensive and defensive linemen that are smashing into each other every play <laughs> have anything bothering them physically. I mean, give me a break. Here's the rule. Everybody watching, everybody listening. The rule is if you go inside those white lines, number one, everybody's hurting – Number two, nobody cares. If I said you can have, there's going to be an 18-game schedule and they'll give you an extra bye week, 
would the players sign up for one more game, more money, and an extra bye week? So the top 5% of the players, the stars, would not because that one game incrementally, financially, is not worth it to them, and they don't want the wear and tear. They're already making millions of dollars a year. From the 16th or maybe even the 15th guy on the roster all the way down to 80, they are volunteering and saying, heck yes. Here's what I always say, Dan, okay? You know, most of these guys, you know, if you're getting 1.7 million or you're getting the minimum, it's like $100,000 a week, okay? If you went into the locker room on Christmas Eve and you said, hey, guys, Dan Patrick just called. He wants to know if we'll play Buffalo on January 16th. You guys all get another paycheck. You all get another 100 grand. Every guy except for maybe the four or five stars would be like, heck yes, we're already here. We already went through training camp. We already went through the whole season. We're already going to be here till January 9th. All I have to do is go to two more practices that week, play one more game for another $100,000, when, by the way, I might get cut next year. I might get hurt. I might never make this money again the rest of my life. Where do I sign? At least 40 of the guys would sign immediately in the locker room. It's always great to talk to you. Love when you're fired up. You got Ar- I'm always fired up. You got Army-Navy? Next Saturday, my favorite day of the year, every year. If you've never been, I know you have, but if other people haven't been, if you're not feeling great about the country, find a way to go to the Army-Navy game. You'll watch everything. You'll take a deep breath, and you'll say, okay, we're going we're gonna to be okay. We're going to be all right. He's Ross Tucker, otherwise known as Meathead James Vanderbeek. Spicy mustard for life. Thank you, buddy. See you, Dan. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. He's Mike Harmon. I'm Dan Byer. We have a brand new fantasy football podcast called I Want Your Flex. Twice a week, every Tuesday and Friday, we come up with new episodes to not only look back at what happened, what you need to do at that minute, and also look ahead of what's coming up in the fantasy football world. That's right, Dan. Every week, we're going to scour the waiver wire to find the pickups to turbo boost your fantasy lineup, sit, starts, fantasy football players' rankings to get you ready to dominate the competition. Listen to I Want Your Flex with Mike Harmon and me, Dan Beyer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and we're you get your podcasts make way for uh mark sanchez former nfl quarterback usc qb a fox nfl analyst he's going to be uh covering the jags and rams coming up on sunday mark joins us good morning mark how are you good morning what's going on guys uh let's see six two and a quarter and uh give me 235 at the moment did you lie about height or weight when you were in college or the nfl uh, in high school, yes. <laughs> I think I felt like 6'3 or something. Uh-huh. But after that, I just kept 6'2. And after the combine, it's like, all right, everybody measured me. Can't lie about that anymore. What do you What do you remember about the combine? Oh, uh, so I, um, I dislocated my kneecap going into my last season at USC, like the second practice. 
So I sat out most of training camp, came back for the opener against Virginia on the road, and I had to wear this brace that, like, basically kept my kneecap in place while I'm running around and stuff. Because once it dislocates, it's prone to do it again. So at the Combine, everybody's got to check it out for the couple days of the medical exams. And so everybody's just cranking on this knee. And this thing blew up like a basketball in the hotel room. And I was like icing this thing all night just to get to the next day so I could go out and run my 40 and do all the physical stuff. It was a disaster. But every doctor from every single team was like, oh, this is the knee. How does this feel? You know, and they're just like (laughs) cranking on it. And I'm like, dude, and you can't say anything, you know. And by the end of the day, this thing was just so big and so annoying. Uh, but I ended up getting it fixed after my uh, after my rookie season. It popped out again my rookie year. So, yeah, the combine was a disaster. I was talking to uh, Matt Leiner yesterday, and he talked oh, about it. Oh, I heard him. Yeah. I heard him. Yeah, he talked about you two <laughs> taking ballroom dancing together. Now, he had already graduated so yeah. he needed two credit. You were a freshman taking ballroom dance. Was that your major? No, <laughs> no. I think uh, without the kneecap issue, I might have been a professional dancer. Oh, okay. That's all I got to Dancing say. with the Sorry, stars. Matt, okay. Matt was like, I can't. He's like, I can't remember any dances. Well, our teacher was Jesus. Everybody called him Jay, and uh, he was a trip. But the. You know, I'm not going to name any names, but the gal that Matt was seeing in school, her friend became my partner, was my dance partner. And she was like, she was a total babe. And, you know, had a mini crush on her and we danced and on Tuesday nights and had our little thing. It was cool. I thought it was awesome. I like how Matt, um, you know, but, didn't. I said, man, a great place to meet women if you're in college taking ballroom dancing. Oh, yeah. He dodged that thing like the play. <laughs> Holy cow. That was funny. Um, he said that, that he was hearing Matt Campbell at Iowa State was the guy that USC was kind of zeroing in on before they got Lincoln Riley. Who were you hearing USC yeah. was going to hire? Well, I was hearing that. I was hearing that um, Sunday, uh, you know, right before all this went down. I thought that was going to happen. I thought the the fickle thing was going to happen potentially because of uh, his connection with Mike Bone. Apparently, uh, he was a former AD there, and they were together or something. So, which you know, those guys would have been. Those guys would be great, but I think this one was just such a big splash and so exciting offensively and so exciting for recruiting, you know, and I, I don't know. We could have gotten anybody better. I was just as excited as Matt. But and, what has uh, happened since me, since Pete Carroll left? Like what 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 left with uh, when Pete left? The recruits left California. I mean, think about it. The kids starting at the kid who was starting at Georgia was from modern day for a little bit. And then they, you know, switched quarterbacks or whatever. But JT Daniels was from modern day. Yeah. And he's in Athens, Georgia. The kid from the other kid from modern day, uh, Bryce Young is starting at Alabama. The kid from St. John Bosco is starting at Clemson. Now, whether these guys are, you know, the best quarterbacks ever and NFL Hall of Famers and all that isn't the point. The point is they all came from Orange County and they left. Like Coach Ogeron used to say, when things were rolling here, they would see other coaches show up at LAX and they'd be like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Other coaches from other schools. Like, why are you here? Are you on vacation? Like, 
what are you doing? You're not getting any of these kids. Get the hell out of here. You know, like that was like the running joke because you'd walk in with the SC interlock to a high school and everybody just lined up. I mean, they were Coach Carroll was recruiting guys just so they didn't go to UCLA. Like it was, it was crazy. We had five five star running backs at one point. It was like Mark Tyler, Emmanuel Moody, C.J. Gable, Stephon Johnson, all in one running back room. I was like, holy, this is unbelievable. How did uh, that's Pete, the way it was? How did Pete uh, recruit you or Ed? Ooh, Coach O. Hey, hey, Jeff. <laughs> you gonna hold the trophy? You gonna hold the sword? In the Rose Bowl, you gonna be the quarterback of the USC Trojans? <laughs> I was like, he said, you gonna stand on the ladder, and after that, we gonna go, I'm gonna go make you some gumbo. <laughs> I said, I don't know what gumbo is, but I'm in. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> and sure as heck, man, I, I mean, Coach Carroll literally sat in my living room with my whole family, you know, chewing gum like he does, and going a million miles an hour. And he was just such an energetic personality. They were putting out quarterbacks left and right. Carson had just gotten drafted. Liner was in the running for – he was just about to win the Heisman. And Matt Castle was getting drafted after barely playing. I'm like, this is a quarterback factory. Sarkeesian's going to be there. Chow's there. Ogeron's there. Where else would I go? I mean, it didn't make any sense to go anywhere else. You know, I looked at Ohio State. I looked at Texas. I looked at Notre Dame, and it was like – why would I leave? There was, you know, there's no other option. And now, once you see what Lincoln Riley's done with all these other quarterbacks, you're a quarterback here in Orange County, San Diego, L.A., Northern California. Why would you leave? We're talking to Mark Sanchez, the Fox NFL analyst. He's got Jags at the Rams. Um, what concerns do you have with the Rams? Ooh, um, you know, it's it's interesting because. When they lost Robert Woods and people think like, oh, it's fine, they just get OBJ. Well, Woods plays Z for them. He's like their flanker. And um, so now Van Jefferson's kind of in that role. And he's more of like a slot and sometimes an X and not really a Z. Like he didn't really play Robert's position. So he's got to learn a lot. OBJ's got to learn a ton. Um, you know, I watched their game last night from Green Bay uh, last week, just again before I go to their practice tomorrow. And um, it, it's little stuff. Like when you go system to system, when you're, you know, OBJ's on his third team and everybody's like, oh, well, why is he not panning out? Why He's not good anymore. Was it Baker? Was it him? Well, when you go from team to team, these languages of offenses and the little nuances – whether you take, you know, when you run a two-by-two balance set and you run, like, all slants. Give me, give me a, a play. Like, give me a complicated play. I mean, it, this isn't a complicated play. Everybody runs it. But, you, you know, you call it lion or dragon is, like, drag slant or lion is all slant or triple slant or whatever. Basically, some teams run them, like, five-step slants on the outside, three-step slants on the inside. Some teams run them three-step slants on the outside, one-step slants on the inside. Some teams run slants on the inside and have, like, options where if you get walled off by a backer or a nickel and they don't let you go inside, you just slam on the brakes and pull back out of the route. So everything's, like, a little different everywhere you go. Driving a different car, dating a new girl. Some girls are gluten-free. Some girls eat anything. You know what I mean? It's just different. Same basic rules, same game. 
but just a little different. And you can tell they're trying to figure it out right now. And Stafford's a little off with him. He's a little off with Stafford. Stafford's expecting him to run on a certain route or slam on the brakes, and he's doing the opposite. So they're still feeling each other out. And it takes time. But, I mean, the biggest concern is, like, if they don't rip off a bunch of wins, they're going to have to go back to Green Bay. Yeah. And it was freezing up there. It was like, you know, in the teens, low teens with the wind chill. And they did not look good. So, I mean, that's my only fear with them. Like, they need to win a bunch of games, and Green Bay has to hit a little slide if the Rams want to, you know, control home field and all that. What's worse for a quarterback, snow, rain, cold, wind? Uh, Wind sucks. Wind. Like the old Meadowlands, yeah. the old Giant Stadium, they would have to keep – so they had these two big garage doors on each side like on each end of the field kind of so like emergency vehicles can come through right well they'd have to keep one open as like some sort of code or safety code or whatever so the wind would come in there and just swirl and you're like you literally have to plan plays based on the quarter like if you're going to take a deep post shot you can't throw it into the wind i mean at least i couldn't maybe josh allen could maybe you know uh, maybe a handful of guys that have ever played could have done it, but that was tough. And it's like, hey, we're going to hit this. We're going to try and hit Flutie, the deep post on it. Um, we're going to have to try and get to it in the second quarter because we're going the wrong way right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. So the wind totally sucks. Rain's, I mean, rain's never been that much of a problem for me, but I got really big hands. So I'm, I remember playing that that Monday night game against the Vikings, against Favre. Um, and it was just pouring. I mean, just absolutely drenched in warm-ups, and it was uh, – th- those weren't bad. Uh, but, I mean, just getting used to the cold. Like, I remember – you know, I'm a SoCal kid, man. I grew up in Orange County. I'm at the beach, like rainbow sandals all the time, and then you go to New York. I mean, I never played a game in less than, you know, 52 degrees. <laughs> so it was – I mean, we'd go out on Tuesdays, and the equipment staff would wet the balls down when it started to get cold and just I'd have to go play catch and just get used to it. <laughs> it sucked. My hands would hurt so bad and it was just different. So you know, it's different when you when you draft a kid from the West Coast. Have you looked into the NFT with the uh the butt fumble to make some money off of that, to own that? <laughs> you know, that's funny. My my uh, best friend actually talked about that because he's like, you know, all these people are doing it and making money i mean i I get how like the concept of it but it just seems so weird like i don't that whole thing the bitcoin thing like i I just (laughs) i don't know that's really hard for me to wrap my brain around that's just like different and i know i don't know enough about it to like jump in that arena so i just kind of stay away from it well you should have skipped dance class Taking an econ class? Yeah, something like that. I don't get the Bitcoin one either. And even the NFT, I'm not That's quite hard. sure. Yeah, but yeah, the it, whole blockchain thing, and we're going to go mine this stuff. And I'm like, what? What's it like living in the Matrix, man? I'm out. I'm out. I remember the first time I walked on USC's campus, and I thought it was a movie set. And uh, I so, they film a lot of movies there. Yeah, but I'm with my, my son, who eventually went there, and then my one of my daughters. But you walk on that campus and you go, this, this isn't real. It, it's like, yeah. <laughs> right? 
It's even nicer now. Have you seen it recently? Oh, yeah, they build that I mean, village. Last, I'm saying recently in the last, yeah. Oh, what? There's like a Whole Foods and a Trader Joe's across the street. <laughs> that market we used to go to, that 3-2 market, had straight up rats in there all the time. All the time. And I'm like getting eggs like, oh, damn, that's nasty. Yeah, it's, it's so, uh, a little different. That place was terrible. And then the movie theater, oh, my God. That movie theater, there was... Like homeless people in there, the dudes like we'd go see like saws were come that those saw movies were coming out, so everybody wanted to go see that. And I mean, dudes are just like screaming in there, like, no, don't go in the room, don't go in the room. Homeless guys in there, people like giving birth in there. It was disgusting. I hated that place, dude. I'm telling you, that place was so bad. It was so bad. The fact that Coach Carroll got all those kids to go there with those facilities and like. The way the campus was at the time, that's crazy. That's crazy. It, I mean, it didn't even match up to anything that it is now or any of the other schools. I know. Uh, tough life, though. Oh. Tough life being a USC student, <laughs> no, right? I'm so happy I went there. I mean, it's the best. It's the best, especially if you're going to live here when you're done. Like, if you're going to be in SoCal yeah. and you went to USC, it's awesome, man. Did you it, have a football one class? Of the best things in the world. Football class? Yeah, but was there one that all the football players took aside from ballroom dancing? Oh, oh, um, there was like a self-defense class that was kind of cool. <laughs> well, that might um, come in handy if you went into the movie theater. Yeah, exactly. That movie theater, you needed it, bro. That place was so bad. Self-defense. Um, no, we took like karate. It was like karate or like self-defense. That one was pretty fun. <laughs> Um, occupational therapy was a cool one. Uh, but a lot of guys were, you know, Matt said it yesterday. A lot of guys were sociology majors because nobody <laughs> knew what they wanted to do. Everybody's just like, oh, okay, I'll just go social. And that's what they did. I ended up taking communication. I actually took a, um, a class on, uh, on like fashion communication. So like the, the gal, uh, page from page premium denim, which was super popular at the time came in and spoke to the class. Um, I took a class with Dr. Boyd, and I think, like, Guillermo del Toro came in and spoke to us. People from the office, Jim and Pam from the office came in when the office was big, <laughs> and they spoke to our class. It was awesome. You get to see, like, all the sneak peek movies and TV shows that are out. It was it was really cool. It was great. Yeah, oh, man. Living the life. Yeah, we had some good classes, though. Yeah. Uh, hey, have fun with the Jags and the Rams. Always great to catch up with you. Uh, my best to the family, and uh, thanks again. I appreciate it, man. All right. Yes, sir. Thanks That's uh, Mark Sanchez, Fox NFL analyst and uh, former USC quarterback.